Okay, so my name's Henry Tomlinson. I started on London's Burning as a first assistant director, and then Paul Knight, the um, producer, was foolish enough to ask me to take over as the associate producer. So I first AD'd, I don't know, for about a few months, did quite a lot, and then um, I ended up associate producing 18 episodes. Um, Ken Shane was the associate producer and he was looking for a first AD and first ADs tend to freelance and I just got asked to come and do an episode. My first one was with a lovely guy called Jimmy Hazeldean who played Bayleaf, did he? And uh, Jimmy was leaving and Paul said, do you want to direct a couple of episodes? And that's how my very first episode was, uh, as a first AD, was with Jimmy. He was a really, probably one of the nicest people you'd ever meet in your life. Slightly nervous because he'd never really directed anything before. And so I, I worked with him. And I think we had Eddie Kidd in the episode. He was doing the motorbike riding. Because it was all, uh, it was a set in the quarry, I remember. And there was a motorcycle accident, I think. But my memory is my memory's not all that. So I think that was it. But yes, I definitely AD'd uh, about four episodes, yeah. We tend to shoot them either as... We tend to shoot an episode in two weeks. So it'd be like an 11-day week. And as the first, it was my job to break the script down into all of its different components e.g. inside, outside, where's the location, what the, who are the actors in, in the um, scenes, and make some kind of shooting schedule and some sense of it, work out the shooting hours, uh, put in background action, and um, basically work out how we were going to shoot it in the time we had to shoot. So in other words, if we're shooting, let's say, Bayleaf's house and we're in Bayleaf's house in three scenes over, let's say, a script, then obviously you wouldn't go to Bayleaf's house once. You'd shoot all the scenes out there. So you go and shoot the uh, shoot, shoot what we called the domestic because there was always a domestic element um, in London's Burning. And then obviously there were the shouts where... Um, that would be where you'd have the stunts and the fire and all the jeopardy, and that's what would take most of the time. But it was uh, highly ambitious in terms of the screen value and the jeopardy and the fires that we, you know, some of the stunts and the, and the special effects that we did. And it was a real testimony, I think, to, the, you know, this was... There was obviously a bit of health and safety, but it was really down to us to be able to shoot in this in the, in, a, in a safe manner. That was before everybody got excited about health and safety. Um, we were very focused on that in terms of we had real firefighters with us who would give us protection. We had the support of the London Fire Brigade who would look at our scripts and say, no, no, that's not correct. That wouldn't happen. How many fire engines would attend? a shout depending on people if it was always like if there were people 
I think it was like persons reported would mean there'd be two engines which would go out or two pumps, I think they were called. Um, so from a realistic point of view, we were very diligent about how it would be done for real. And that's why we got the support of the London Fire Brigade. Um, within a kind of series, you'd always have some really big... Sh and so that Paul Knight, who was a genius producer, um, Paul's uh, track record was incredible. He started like Robin Sherwood, Black Beauty, you name it, Paul did it. Spending less money on other episodes and spending a lot of money on, on others so that he could do big, big stuff, you know, which was why we got such a big viewing audience and why Paul would make 18 episodes of this every year because we were getting, I think, 12 and a half, 13 million on a Sunday night, which was a hell of a thing, really, for, uh, I think it was LWT then or ITV then. So um, he was really old school producer, really, really clever, good writers, and um, very ambitious in terms of the production designer was absolutely Colin was Colin Monk was absolutely brilliant, you know, with false walls and building sets in such a way. Like I remember, we did one we did one uh, episode where I ended up getting my nephew involved, who was about six, and putting him into a burning building. Uh, with an oxygen pipe hidden to blow oxygen across his face, gas bars, gas effects to create all the flames. But obviously what the viewers didn't know was he was by a false wall, and behind that false wall were two proper firemen who were literally ready at the drop of a hat to pull out the false wall and put him straight out so there was never any danger to him. But his mum, when she came to the set, did, was a bit nervous watching this whole building going up in flames with him in the middle of it. But anyway, so it was um, it was an amazingly ambitious um, show. And I think, well, as you know, it, what's how many episodes, how many series did it do in there? 12, 13, 14, I'm not sure. So, you know, that was, a, and I think, I think, what was it, 18 episodes each series, was it? Or minimum 12, I would have thought. Least, yeah, yeah. Because Paul used to produce another show called The Knock. So when I worked on it, we literally, I, I never worked for anybody else but Paul for about three years because we did a show called The Knock and then London's Burning, then The Knock, then London's Burning, then The Knock, then, you know, so it was just continuously in work, which is unheard of in the film industry because normally, you know, we're basically freelance. So we work on individual projects. So it was my job to look at the budget and report to the accounts department, know how much we were spending on an episode um, and maintain that budget over the time, you know. So in other words, so in other words, I knew we had 18 episodes to shoot and we knew we had a budget to, to use over that period. So I'd be talking to Paul Knight about where we were, and there'd be a cost report every Monday, seeing what we're doing. And so sometimes a script would come in and we'd say, Paul, we can't afford to do this script because if we're going to do this, we won't better do this, you know, big episode that he's planning coming up. So sometimes some of the episodes will be more 
about the domestic situation and the relationships between people than actual shouts. Um, and other times we would go for a big, big shout. So it's really just overseeing the whole thing, getting in crews to, to, to shoot the episodes and basically, you know, when, if they were overrunning or taking a view when people, when they weren't going to achieve the days, making sure that the directors were working fast enough, making sure we gave them everything they needed and the right crew around them. And then in terms of things like uh, every element, really, just maintaining that budget, making sure we didn't go over. Andrew really took it very seriously. I mean, all of the cast, including uh, Jimmy Hazeldean and Andrew, took it very, very seriously, took the script very, very seriously and always wanted to get it right, you know. So um, it was, uh, they were a great bunch, you know, to have nine of them in the room was always very, very funny um, in terms of how they all worked together. But Andrew, t Andrew did take it extremely seriously. He was a great actor. I mean, one of the funny, one of the really funny uh, things about Paul Knight, who was quite clever, was because obviously it was a hell of a show. Um, what Paul, t I don't know whether you noticed, there's a reg there's a kind of theme that always seemed to play out was that at the very end of the last episode of a series, <laughs> there was always something going on where you never know whether anybody had survived a an incident and the reason for that was when you finished the series and you were starting the new series the agents the actors agents would always come to Paul and want to get more money for the actors and if the if the agents were a bit too ambitious with what they wanted him what they wanted the actors to be paid Paul would always leave it hanging so that if, if they asked for too much money he'd just say oh no they've died they died at the end of the last episode of the last series, so that the actors knew, or the agents knew, that they couldn't be too greedy, because otherwise the actors would just get cut out, and they'd just say, oh, no, they died in the pump, they died in the fire engine. So it'd always be like the last shot of the series would be some fire engine 28 foot up in the air turning over on its back, and <laughs> with a question mark as to who survived it. He was an old school producer. Nowadays in television, people are described as producers, but they're not really producers. Whereas Paul was a proper old school producer. <coughs> he was hands on the script, hands on the whole process, larger than life. Everyone loved him. The loyalty that he got because he looked after people so well was second to none. And um, he, his attitude, I mean, it, he didn't want, he, he, he didn't appreciate anybody from, from once, the, once he was commissioned to, to do the show, his attitude was, I have consistently delivered fantastic series of this show. I don't want anybody telling me how to do my job. And if the viewing figures are not proven to be good, then sack me. If you're not going to 
you know, and let me do my job. So as television changed, that became slightly tricky at times in that he had a slightly fractious relationship towards the end uh, with, 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 uh, with, with the commissioning, you know, with the commissioning studio. So that's why I think the last two series weren't produced by him because new faces took over and he wasn't able just to do what he needed to do. You know, in, the, in, in his attitude was he'd have a lunch with the commissioner once a month and that would be it. He'd be left to get on with it. Whereas uh, he didn't appreciate other interference from people. But he was very, very, very funny. I mean, hilarious. Just He was about six foot eight and wore these incredibly beautiful suits. And, you know, it was just great fun to be around, you know. Uh, I think there was a brilliant obituary. I don't know whether you read it to him, which really was quite interesting because there was so much in there that I didn't know about. He came from a hell of a showbiz family. And I think his father and his mum were in musical originally. So it was in his bones, you know. He was also incredibly shrewd. In the you know his in his property investments and he was a great businessman. I mean, really clever. I mean, there was one classic when I don't do you, you're probably too young to remember. There was this huge storm when all the trees were falling down and uh, it was snowing. Anyway, so I'm in I'm in the office with Paul. It's a night shoot, and um, somebody rings from the set and says, Paul. It's snowing. It's a gale force five. There's trees falling down. What should we do? And he said, shoot it. Get on and shoot it. So <laughs> he put the phone down. Anyway, 10 minutes later, another call. And they said, Paul, another, another tree's just fallen down. And, and it was, so he went from one extreme of get on and shoot it to come home. You come home to, to, London, to the studio, you know. Simon was, again... Just unbelievably, I mean, the sheer volume of scripts that he he wrote in in a, in a in a series was absolutely amazing. Uh, and again, quite young, and Paul took him under his wing and gave him this responsibility and allowed him to write these incredible scripts. Um, Simon was absolutely lovely. Again, wanting to get everything technically correct, they were very diligent about wanting to make sure that everything we did was as it would happen for real. And so also would refer to real incidents, you know. So real shouts that the London Fire Brigade had had to deal with. He would talk to them all and talk about the scenario and what happened and how they dealt with it. I mean, do you remember the uh, gas cylinder factory? Well, when you eventually talk to Sean... There's a shot in that which everyone thought was special effects, where a gas cylinder comes over the top of a, a building and the camera's directly behind Sean and the gas cylinder comes towards him and he just ducks down to the left and it goes past him and he comes back up. And everyone said to me, oh, God, what an incredible special effect. That shot was incredible. How you know? That was before um, green screen and CGI and all that, you know? How, it must. What was it? Was was the cylinder on an invisible cable or something like that? 
Well, the answer to that was absolutely not. And although these cylinders were made from fiberglass, it still was hairy, you know, watching Sean. And, and of course, Sean always wanted to get right in the middle of everything. If there was ever anything to do which really should be a stunt, he'd always want to do it himself. So everyone's always said, oh, God, how did you manage to achieve that shot? And I'm like, by the grip, by the grace of God, frankly, because it wasn't a special effect. It was, it was, I mean, they literally were firing. We had compressed air on the other side of the building. And I don't know whether you noticed that because London, the London Fire Brigade changed their appliances from Dennis to Volvo. Now, what that, that created a problem for us because we had lots of generic footage of Dennis fire engines leaving the fire, leaving the fire station at Borough and driving through the streets. And suddenly they changed them to Volvo. And now we've no longer got any footage of Volvo fire engines. And obviously Dennis are the wrong fire engine. So we went out one day with two firefighters. We're actually Nobby Clark, who was the advisor, and another were driving these Volvo fire engines around Bermondsey. And we were filming them with the blues and twos going on. Well, of course, technically, that's illegal to be driving an appliance with fire and you know with the sirens and the blues and twos going. And I got an, I got a phone call. I was the associate producer. I got a phone call from the inspector at Tower Bridge, police saying, "Would you like to get Mr. Tomlinson to ring me?" So I kind of went, "Oh, could you tell him I'll ring him back in you know an hour?" And he went, "No, no, I'll tell him." I'd suggest he rings me in the next five minutes before I come down. So then I had to go out for a lunch with him and explain our predicament, you know, uh, about drive, needing some footage of Volvo fire engines going through the streets. And I said, to be honest with you, do you really want me to tell you when we're going to be doing it? Because you don't want to be responsible if there's a problem, you know? So he had a think about it and he said, all right, I think we'll just ignore it and just do what you have to do. But, you know, these are qualified. It's not like we were using idiots driving them. These were qualified firemen who drove these appliances with blues and twos for a living. So it was a slightly grey area as to whether or not we should have been doing it. But anyway, thankfully, I didn't spend any time in, in Tower Bridge, Nick, over it. Jimmy Hazeldean. Jimmy was an amazing actor. Uh, Jimmy, uh, when he left London's Burning, was immediately in a play at the National with Julie Walters um, and was an incredibly talented actor. And uh, there's a, there is a understandable... Uh, you know, there's a, potentially, there's a... Uh, understandably, actors over uh, 18 episodes and if they're regularly in something begin to phone in the performance and not really engage anymore because it's just like human nature. They do it day in, day out. And Jimmy treated every single, every single scene, he took it incredibly seriously. He gave it his all. And I think it kind of showed in his performance. And it, I didn't, you know, he could have, if he wasn't in London's Burning, he would have been heavily in demand as an actor 
in loads of other places, you know. And he was just a really, he was a mixture of a terribly nice man, a really good actor, word perfect on the day, always on time, couldn't do enough for you. Um, and I think it showed in his performance. He was a really, really talented actor. My special, is my most special memory, and I'm sure this will get me into all sorts of trouble, was Paul Knight coming into my office when the, this was towards the end of his reign. And this was when people from LWTI TV were getting very busy and coming down to the set and getting involved and asking lots of questions. And he, you know, he rightly or wrongly resented this. Anyway, so he'd had a long lunch and he's standing in my office and he looks over behind me out of my window. I'm facing him and he looks behind me and he goes, oh no, oh my God, they're coming. They're coming, they're all gonna come. Oh no, they're gonna come and ask me loads of questions. What am I gonna do? And he's in a beautiful silk suit, by the way. And he gets on his hands and knees and he goes under my desk. So all you've got is me sitting at my desk and all you've got is his ass sticking out with him under my desk with glass all the way down my office and the bosses from LWT looking into my office and all they could see is me looking bewildered at them and Paul Knight on his hands and knees trying to hide under my desk. So that is possibly one of my memories. Certainly, I didn't know what to say. I mean, they looked at me like I was a lunatic. I felt like I was a lunatic, trying to make some sense and then trying to make some sense of why he's so clearly not hidden because he's huge. So all you can see is him, his rear half of his ass and his, on his hands and knees hiding under my desk while I'm sitting at my desk looking kind of, what am I supposed to say, you know? So that was hilarious, but was a slightly tricky moment. It wasn't the finest moment, that's for sure. My dad, you may or may not know uh, or remember, because if he met you now, he's, he died of 20 years ago, but he said, if he met you, he'd say, you're far too young to remember me. But my dad was an actor called David Tomlinson. So he was an actor who played Mr. Banks in Mary Poppins. He made few movies for Disney, The Love Bug, Bedknobs and Broomsticks. And he probably made, I think he made about 60 movies in his career. And did a lot of theatre, um, which is, I guess, partly why I ended up in this industry. I mean, basically, my attitude was either I work in theatre and when I went, then I came to, well, I started in the theatre, then I ended up in TV and film. And it was either that or sweep the road because I left school with no qualifications at all. And this business is about the only business you can go to with no qualifications. So I just about missed being a road sweeper and just about by the skin of my teeth ended up working in film and television. My, my, my dad described himself as a strolling minstrel. Okay. <laughs> Look forward to hearing some more of your podcasts and thanks for... And no one's ever asked me to do a podcast before, so I should be very pleased with myself for the rest of the day now. Okay, thank you, thank you.